Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today on the show is Andy Connolly, the host body of Naive Ted, the Limerick-based DJ slash producer slash experience who's been involved in music for the bones of two decades, helping set up the community scratch games at the Beer House in Galway, for example, which are still going strong every Easter. Ted was born maybe over a decade ago, first as a one-man collaboration, Deviant and Naive Ted, who released a great collection in 2011 called Send in the Hounds. You'll hear a bit of that during the chat with Andy. Then Naive Ted, who you'll recognise, his topless Lucha Libre mask, get up at live shows. He released a string of tracks, EPs and collections over the years, such as The Inevitable Heel Turn in 2015 and Magazines in 2018. We're listening to an early track called Plastique, and we'll go into another one called Murder, Murder, Murder during this intro. They're of the One Basic Principle collection that you can find if you Google it. For lots of other TED stuff, go to unseenmusic.bandcamp.com. We're talking to Andy today because Naive Ted is hanging up his mask. He played his final Limerick shows last weekend, October 20th and 21st. He's doing Bundoran and Galway this weekend, October 28th and 29th. And then he'll be at Haunted Dance Hall at the NCH in Dublin on Saturday, November 4th, which I think is going to be his final appearance. A little about that show, Ted will be taken to the stage twice, first in the early evening in NCH studio for a special semi-improvised performance with past collaborators Dan Walsh, post-punk Podge, Merley and God Knows performing tracks from the back catalogue. Then it's off to the Sugar Club for one last high-speed dance floor excursion before catching the ferry to parts unknown for the final time. So I talked to Andy the day before the Limerick shows. We chatted about lots of things like why Naive Ted is hanging up the mask, how and why he came to exist, and we talk about Limerick and Galway over the years, Andy's work with Music Generation Limerick and what's next for him. We could have talked for ages. Maybe we'll talk again soon because it feels like we didn't nearly get to everything that we could have covered. Let's get into the chat anyway with some TED tunes sprinkled throughout. We'll play out with Come Apart off magazines, which I think is just a killer track. Here's Andy Connolly talking about Naive Ted on The Point of Everything. I would call it the Naive Ted project. What would you refer to Naive Ted as? I used to kind of call him a character, but then my missus pointed out that he's actually more like me than I am. So he's like, sort of, I guess, a way of, a way of being myself on stages, which I was kind of finding a bit more difficult when I started that project. That was one of the reasons that um, I guess with aging and things I was finding it harder to sort of cut loose on stage 
and there's nothing like a mask to help you to do that, you know. I used to be quite animated when I was younger back in stages, and then I was kind of getting older and maybe a bit more conscious of maybe being a real person. Um, I, I was definitely kind of, I guess, reining myself in a little bit when I was performing in public, which I didn't want to do what was kind of happening naturally. And Ted had been a kind of a, an asylum partner in the Deviant Dunnelly of Ted stuff. He was kind of there as a, as a get out of jail free card for when I was going to do quite weird stuff. I wouldn't sit with the kind of out Deviant persona, which was kind of more kind of hip hop. But then when I was making weird hip hop, that's when Ted got added to the mix in name only kind of character. There was no, no idea for him to ever play live or anything. And then it just emerged so like I kind of reluctant to call him a character now but I also refer to him as a person you know so I'm not really sure what he is but it's definitely a vessel for me to do things like I guess I couldn't otherwise do you know or that I could but that I feel I can't you know why do you want to cut loose on stage or why did you why did you want to cut loose on stage and like what was kind of inhibiting it was it just the idea of like uh, people are watching me is it just like a, a head kind of a thing probably yeah um like we're chatting to, to john millis about this years back as well and like one of the things that always struck me um like i mean john used to play together quite a bit and one thing that he kind of said years ago was that like always trying to to play and behave like i do in my bedroom when i'm practicing because like it was like be whooping and hollering and dancing around your bedroom when you're doing it. Yet when you get onto a stage, it's a, a, a little bit more refined or, or whatever. So, and that was something that definitely stuck in my head around the same time. I was maybe having the same feelings, and I was like, "That's a good way to put it." Like, like, like play like you do when there's no one watching. But I, I was just finding that hard. Um, maybe I had like timeline. I'm not exactly sure how it works out, but. I think it was also when I was kind of starting working as a teacher and stuff as well, that like maybe I was just more conscious of like you're playing this raucous kind of music and jumping around like a like a lunatic, you know, with your real face and your real clothes on, you know, which uh, connects you to real life, you know. I think I needed that kind of distance from it, that I'm like, look, I'm actually just a normal person who kind of walks around and is very normal and vanilla in normal life but um there's this other thing i do that i get out my all my um frustrations and mad mad bits of me that you just can't um you can't be walking down the street acting like naive ted like you know and so why is the naive ted character project coming to an end you've got a couple of shows lined up in the next few weeks yeah um, like it's time. I always knew it was going to be a finite project. Like I always knew it was, it, it, it was kind of time limited. He's kind of all encompassing. It's very difficult for me to do other things when I'm doing that. I take it very seriously. Um, I, like one of the things that with the TED stuff is that I stopped rehearsing years ago. So I only practice. So I don't plan a show. I'll just practice doing things all the time. But there's never really a plan, which makes the shows, I think, quite dynamic and kind of fun for people, but also requires a lot of effort on my part to kind of be sharp enough to do that all the time. 
now I've got like a, kind of a cluster of gigs, but usually I'd kind of be doing gigs kind of here and there and like not necessarily in a role that would like with tours and stuff. So every time then you've got to go back into performance mode for four or five weeks to, to kind of be sharp and stuff. And then I've got a kid, I've got a family, um, I've got a job, I've got other music stuff to be doing as well. And time is of the essence. And if I can't do it properly, I just don't want to do it at all. And that's kind of it really. Like there's lots of smaller little reasons too, but that's really it. Like, um, at the commitment that he takes out of my life is just a bit much. Was it a hard decision to reach? It was kind of like maybe an inevitable decision. Maybe you knew that like uh, it is too much of a, a time suck that I need to finish it up. But I guess actually coming to that conclusion is the hard part, isn't it? I sort of work on serendipity a lot. And it just so happened that I kind of got a, a couple of bookings in around the same time as I was kind of thinking of wrapping it up. And I was like, OK, let's just do a tour of this. So and kind of like... It wasn't hard in that sense. I think it'll be harder maybe afterwards when I've actually put him to bed and um, think I'm not going to do that anymore. But so far, it feels normal. It feels natural. It feels like um, this is the right time to do it. And like, yeah, I just didn't want it to kind of peter out and get shit, you know, which can happen too, because I don't just do that one Christmas gig every year or, or whatever, you know, that's so I wanted to avoid it, it falling into that. Because again, like, I mean, like, I do take it very seriously and I kind of have his place in my life, I guess, is, is quite an important place. And, and like I value what he's kind of given to me as well. I just, yeah, I didn't want it to become something that I was either was a bit of an albatross or was maybe stopping me doing other things. I, I guess I'm kind of talking to you on, on the wrong side of the gigs. Tomorrow you're playing your final <laughs> limerick shows you're actually in rehearsals for them so this is something that you wouldn't have done before well, the rehearsal one it's just because we're doing the band show up at the haunted dance hall so the lads were just having to be around this weekend as well so we just decided to rehearse that and even rehearsing is kind of a strong word for it like <laughs> i don't like to i don't like to have too much plans bar like so even with the band stuff we've got a framework for what we're doing as opposed to a show you know like there's kind of like semi-improv I would call it sort of like DJing too because when I'm kind of playing solo because it's because I'm a DJ it's not like I have to worry about every second of every bit because the songs play themselves too you know so like even though like you could say that at Ted is improv it's like it's always semi-improv because there's always going to be stuff happening regardless of even if I walk away from the decks, their music will play, you know? So there's kind of a safety there too. Like, But yeah, the idea of planning things too hard. I don't like when I see bands and they play exactly the record. I don't like things feeling over-choreographed. And I think once I start choreographing anything, then you're going to have to go the whole hog. So I just don't choreograph anything anymore and hopefully it'll all work out. Or else it'll fail spectacularly. And I'm, quite, I'm fine with that too, you know? Has it ever failed spectacularly? Like, maybe not spectacularly, but there's been a few <laughs> down ones, yeah. Yeah, where it just hasn't kind of actually come off or you've made the wrong turn when you should have turned right, you went left or whatever. But you don't know that, that in hindsight. Like, I think I've been, I've been performing long enough that I think even on my worst night, I can get a pass, you know? I'm always aiming for an A, obviously, but... 
I think even if I'm terrible, I'm probably still pretty good. Do you know what I mean? So like, and I guess I've really tried to move, tried to put the, the, the kind of entertainment aspect to the fore, not, not in a kind of a theatrical sense, but in a like, I've got a very, I've got a very um, clearly defined job in my head. My job is is to make sure that everyone in the room is actually having a good time and and not worrying about their bills or what's going to happen tomorrow or whatever. Like I'm trying to entertain you enough that everything else slips away and that we're all together. And that wasn't something that was maybe true at the start. I think Ted kind of started as a bit of a howl at the moon kind of a kind of a thing. Um, quite a lot of kind of anger and frustration in it and was, I guess, quite a bit of a middle finger to the scratching scene and kind of DJs in general. I was kind of purposefully kind of against what most people were doing there. And that's changed over time. I, I get to start. People were so receptive to kind of me telling everyone to fuck off that I was quite surprised. People do like they just took to it straight away for some reason. I mean, like on a small scale, obviously, but uh, the shows went well from the start, kind of, even though they were kind of meant to be a bit of a, yeah, go fuck yourselves. I'm going to do this now. Is that tongue in cheek, though, as well? Um, At the start, I don't think it was. I think really? it was quite sincere. Like, I had massive frustrations with, like, music in general, um, DJing, scratching, like... I hold scratching very dear. That's the, the kind of main, that's my uh, my entry into music and how I learned everything was through scratching. But the promise it kind of gave when I was 16 or 17, or even up until my kind of early 20s, it didn't really follow through as a culture, you know? And it's a really gimmicky, silly kind of, on the one side, you've got, you've got like what I would nearly consider choreographed dance routines that are called DJ routines, but like once, I guess, once digital stuff came along, it was so easy to pre-program everything to make it easy for you to do it, which kind of kills a lot of what I enjoyed about it. Like you're removing the, the kind of tightrope and like now you're walking on the pavement and it's kind of normal, you know, whereas with vinyl and stuff, everything was skipping and it was, you know, a difficult thing to do. And once I think digital came along, it sort of removed a lot of that stuff, which was my interest in it maybe and then on the other side of scratching you've got the really nerdy hyper hyper technical side of it too which again i'm not particularly interested in and they're the kind of two dominant forms you've kind of got the hyper kind of at a super technical kind of freestyle scratch kind of part of it and then you've got the kind of silly choreograph kind of dj battles kind of side as well and they're the two dominant kind of outputs and that really kind of pissed me off really and i just wanted to be like we're actually we're actually making music as opposed to like we're not playing a video game we're not doing stunts you know we're like that's where I wanted to be anyway I wanted to make music and have to perform like a normal musician would in a way just using turntables like I I was listening to an interview that you did with Ray Wingnut a couple of years ago just in do, doing my research and everything and you were talking passionately about scratching during that chat do you think it's it's more recently even that you've kind of like been looking more cynically Is that, the that was an word? edited interview <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot on the cutting room floor 
You sound different talking about scratching now than you did on that interview. On that, yeah. Just yeah, three years uh, ago, I, I think anyway. No, my feelings would have been pretty, like, that was one of the reasons we set up Scratch Games um, and go with Community Scratch Games was to just be like, look, there's there's another way to do this. It doesn't have to be competitive and it doesn't have to be kind of cheesy, kind of clickbait either. I guess my stance has changed over the years in that I spend a lot of time trying to convince everyone I was a musician. And I think now I don't think I'm a musician. I'm a DJ, you know, <laughs> you know, there's a different like... I make music and I do concerts and that, but I do it via the medium of DJing, really. Even when I'm producing music, I'm still just using the same concepts I did or do as a DJ. I can't play any instruments, even though I do, I like kind of play keyboards on all my tracks, but I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just doing it. It's like there's a word missing for, like, as we call them producers now, but producers kind of used to mean something different. Now it kind of, it's kind of a blurred word. But like, I definitely, yeah, feel separate from musicians and also a, a little bit separate from the majority of DJs as well, I guess. I, I guess I'm just obstinate as well, though, you know, that's actually a character flaw probably as much as anything else. But like, I really hold scratching very, very dearly. That's why maybe I feel strongly about it and the missed opportunities that maybe people had kind of resonate with me still, you know, but it's very, very difficult as well. The reason people don't do full-on scratch music is because it takes bloody forever and it's really hard and really prone to going wrong. So I understand it as well. I just presumed there'd always be a pocket of people kind of doing what I kind of was into, but uh, that's kind of fallen away, I guess. Are you still involved with the scratch games? They're still going on in the beer house, aren't they? Up and going yeah, around? yeah. Uh, still... like less so than it was because I live in Limerick now. I help on the weekend more than anything else. I kind of help with the bookings and with arranging and like finding lost DJs and putting cables where they need to be, that kind of stuff. Because, uh, like, it's really lo-fi. Like, um, it's like Jimmy Penguin runs it mostly now, and it's kind of, like, me and him and whoever we can rope in to helping on the weekend. Super low budget, which was the whole point. Like, always, the reason it's called Community Scratch Games, I guess, is it's it's just part of the community. We didn't want it to be expensive for people. We wanted it to be free. We wanted, wanted like... We've had opportunities kind of for sponsorship over the years. We've kind of turned most of them down. An opportunity to expand it, we've kind of turned that down. It is what it is. And I, I think I think Danny Depot was the one that maybe coined the phrase, like, why do we always need to expand? We could like this works and it's good. So like let's let's keep it that way. And I think if we it wouldn't have like it's in seventh next year's the 18th year of it, I think. And I don't think we could have done it like that if um if we had made it bigger or kind of more professional or whatever. And um, it's very grassrootsy and very, again, it's in danger of falling apart at any moment, which I, I think I get a, a weird kick out of, you know. <laughs> um, is scratching in the beer house where you kind of started? Was it in Galway that you started figuring things out? A bit after I'd started, yeah. I mean, the Galway scene, I moved to Galway when I was 18 or 19 and in kind of classic, small Irish kind of music scene thing. I got just kind of known quite quickly because I was the only one. So I kind of ended up getting loads of gigs and... In Galway, like, was there was there lots Galway, going right. on? There wasn't, no. It was kind of just me scratching. Like, were there clubs or, or like, where were you playing? Because now Galway has so... Like, it seems from the outside that Galway doesn't have 
to many venues and i hope that that's Doesn't, not like yeah. a sl- i hope galway people aren't hearing this and being like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> but it seems like there's not as much going on there now as there might have been like five or ten years ago maybe from my perspective anyway i guess they lost a good uh, have a couple of venues and uh, for sure um as back when i started there was definitely a lot more venues and there was also celtic tiger era so there was loads of kind of budgets around and stuff as well so I ended up hooking up with uh, the online one crew, which is kind of like electronic music. So house, techno, electro, kind of jungle. And then I took care of the hip hop. And we used to run the GPO every two weeks. And we did that for three years. I think that was 02 to 04. And that was great to have a residency like that. Like, so I was maybe 20, 21 at the time. And getting getting the budget off a nightclub to run your night was like, you know, like things are dreams are made of now, you know. But yeah, we used to like run every two weeks um, and it was actually 110 Street Kino Cuevon's night was on the other Saturdays and we ran that for yeah, three odd years I think and having a residency as a kind of a young guy like that was really formative kind of experience even like around Ireland there wasn't really many many DJs kind of regularly out there playing I played underground rap music so because they kind of had the faith in me I was able to I guess build a little a little scene there because it was the same crowd every week and they get to know the tunes and like I could play some company flow b-side and everyone would be like yeah to a full dance floor you know so there was something quite that it gave me optimism for kind of moving forward and I guess made me realize that you didn't people like I think people dumb it down for audiences unnecessarily like I think an audience can handle really mad shit if you present it to them in the right way as well, you know. It was a great place to be 20 as well, though, you know. Loads of crack, the arts festival, the art college, like, loads of young people around. I'm not there as much anymore, so I can't comment on kind of what it's like at the moment, really. But certainly then it seemed like the ideal place to kind of become a man, maybe, <laughs> you know. Um, lots to do and lots of opportunities for someone like me that was kind of maybe more fringe. But I'd say, yeah, from like probably 01 to 05, I was probably playing every week, which was a great, great benefit to me, you know. Um, and it was always kind of like underground hip hop and rap that you were playing. Was, was it like all, all American as well, I'm presuming? Most um, there was a lot of UK stuff around then too. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like probably 70, already played American, like, yeah. And I guess that was around the same time that uh, Creative Control would have started up as well. MSIJ and the expert they became later um so that was like one of the one of the few 12 inches you could get of an Irish act as well like there was a few Irish acts around but but no one really pressing records or anything and that became a big record so like kind of arrived at the right time people were ready for underground rap but just no one was presenting it to them too you know and so from Galway then that's kind of how I spread out around the country then like so we'll have a, have a big connection with Cork as well and um, around the same time so back in the day pre kind of cutting heads era you had these nights up in the agora and then you had the hobo convention down in the pav as well so got a lot of connection with cork and a bit of limit too before i even moved here not so much in dublin even though dublin was always harder to get get gigs in actually for that kind of thing anyway and um, you get like live rap all right but rap djs were always a bit more sidelined maybe whereas in kind of cork limerick Galway, you could actually do a club night of underground rap and people would actually go and it wouldn't actually yeah there'd be people and there'd be 
uh, they'd be happy to do it. Maybe there was, yeah, I'm not really sure why that is actually. That just kind of just popped into my head. But um, it's the joy of having a small country too, you know, like you can kind of get out there quite quickly. And that was all under the Deviant name, wasn't that it? That was Deviant, yeah. So that's kind of like the DJing hip hop. Hip hop and pretty strict as well, like pretty strict on the hip hop front, like left of center hip hop for sure. But I'd have a got a clear idea of what hip hop means and what the rules are. And not that you can't go outside it, but once you go outside it, then it's, it's something else. You're playing hip hop and rap music, there's a certain set of criteria. And maybe that's something that I kind of do a lot. I, I like rules in my in my art. It's useful, you know. I think middle era Ted maybe started not following the rules he could have set. And maybe I'm not as satisfied with maybe that output as the earlier and the later stuff. But I did say, um, if you're familiar with Sending the Hounds, that record I, um, I did, uh, which was like a trad scratch music album, all those, so there was like another five records before that as well, but they were all made with really strict criteria that everything had to be scratched. There was no no digital effects, um, no editing, no anything, which made it really, really difficult. But it, it certainly made it easier to make something because you knew what you were doing. And I think when I switched over to using digital stuff, there was a period of time when it was it was too wide what I was kind of doing. And I kind of needed when I guess when Ted upped the BPMs and kind of kind of clearly went towards dance music. That was really useful as well. It was like, no, I've got my parameters narrowed again. I know what I'm here for. I don't really care what else happens as long as people dance. And that was a good, good narrowing of, of the canvas in front of me, I guess. Let me away. Remember his years. He reached out his hand. 
Can you pinpoint the first uh, appearance of Naive Ted? We used to do a little bit in the Flying Buttresses rap show where I would pop up as Ted for one tune and then go back to normal again after that. Um, it was kind of like a really, I can't remember what tune it was, but it was one of our Matter songs. That was the first, that's a little cameo. First proper show was, was at Community Scratch Games nine years ago or something like that 2014 or 2015 i think and what are the flying buttresses for those of us with uh bad memories i feel like i, I should know this uh flying buttresses was me and said we did an album called orson wells in 2012 i think it was 2012 we were a live act kind of first we'd been playing live together for years we yeah we did that record and it got kind of well regarded and for a certain Irish rap fan, I think that's that's held in kind of high esteem as a thing. I guess then that was at the time of I wasn't really sure about the hip hop. Like I was starting to move away from that, um, and that's quite a weird record as well. Like uh, I mean, like maybe a casual rap fan wouldn't even call it hip hop at all, but um, to me, it was still a very hip hop record. But I, I guess I was just moving moving away from that like around the same time probably so we didn't get to follow up and do much else after that but we had like actually we probably had 100 gigs under our belt by that point mainly around the west and i quite like having things that kind of maybe aren't recorded things that happen in the moment and they're now in our memories and that's fine you know like it's nice to have little snippets and stuff but sometimes they're better off left in your head too you know this sounds like it was a pretty creative time for you if you're playing with flying buttresses as well and like suddenly naive ted comes into uh things was there other music that you were doing as well making i mean i'm just i'm always doing it like i kind of always have since i've kind of been about 15 or 16 i just do it every day i do everything like i have maybe patches that are better or kind of maybe or make better music or do better gigs but like my output is pretty consistent as far as I haven't been releasing much stuff in the last couple of years. Again, that's kind of more more family related and just time related. But I mean, I'm in the studio every day. I'm practicing every day. I just love this thing. Like I just love making tunes. I love I love performing. Like I can't stop now. Anyway, I'm only 42 now. There's no going back. You know, <laughs> like this is all I know how to do. But it's definitely like a real habit that I. I can't imagine not doing, you know. Just that kind of uh, thrill. And it's a daily thrill. Like, even just having a practice gives me a thrill, you know. And I teach music as well, like, and, and that's my main job. One thing that I always struggle with is when people say they have a writer's block or whatever, I'm like, you know, just, just carry on and, <laughs> like, like, move your hands around or whatever. Stuff will come out, <laughs> you know. Like, I've never, I've never had that. I struggle to make good stuff sometimes, but making stuff has never been an issue. You just go to where you do your thing and you do it and it comes out. If it's crap, well, then the next one will be better. That that one's crap, next one will be better. You know, like music for me, it, it, it's not a separate thing to my life, you know, as well. Like as in, even if I am a dad and a teacher and, and stuff, like the music is involved in all that. As in, when I'm being a dad, I'm still this music making guy. And I'm not too precious about it, I guess. Maybe it used to be at times, maybe, but 
I'm happy to fail, which I think is maybe possibly a good thing for the art, maybe a bad thing for your career, but um, I can definitely stand over everything I've kind of done in my own head anyway, you know, even if some of those maybe choices or decisions maybe closed certain doors to me, um, I still think that it was the right thing to, to put the art first rather than the career, you know? Not that like I would have had as a grand designs and being famous or anything anyway, but we've kind of touched off the sky now and again and pretty quickly retreated, you know. <laughs> like, no, I don't belong here. This is fine. Tell me about uh the work that you do. You work with music generation in Limerick. Yes, yeah. I'm a music tutor there. That's my bread and butter job. I go to schools, I go to youth clubs, done some work in Limerick prison, like I do one-on-one lessons with teenagers. We do kind of mentoring work. And I actually made the mentoring stuff is maybe what I kind of gravitate to the to the most. We run this project called Limerick Voices, which happens every Saturday. Um, and we have a building in the city that's got like eight rooms in it. And we just turn it over to, to teenagers for four hours. And we're just there with them. It's not like we're teaching them anything. It's like, you guys want to be a punk band? Well, here's a room with some guitars and amps and you're going to be a punk band and when you need some help people to shout and, that, and that's maybe the most kind of rewarding kind of part of it for me anyway because it's I guess I'm getting to be a musician as well as opposed to a teacher maybe and there's something quite nice about because we're all peers no matter if I'm in my 40s and they're kind of and they're 15 they're still making tunes and they're still trying to do the same thing I'm doing and it's nice to have faith in young people to just run themselves you know they get told enough what to do by adults all the time you know and that's maybe one thing that I always try and get across to them it's like whatever I say you can ignore as well you know like <laughs> this is just my opinion but if you think that's stupid that's fine you yeah just, you do your thing so it's, it's very rewarding and it pays my mortgage to more so than naive Ted does so, very important very important part, you know? yeah <laughs> um, but it's been great to sort of follow into this kind of work to be able to make a living all involving music has been surprising <laughs> so it has to be honest quite surprising but um you figure it out eventually when did you move to limerick from galway i went yeah i came down here in 09 i'd actually started doing like youth worky stuff up there and started teaching the odd kind of classes but I didn't have any degree or anything, so it was hard to get paid properly for it. I did a lot of voluntary work first to kind of get get to know how to do it, I guess, first. And actually, that, that's maybe a bit of advice I would give to anyone that's looking to get into that kind of stuff. Just go down to your local youth centre and just say that you're around and that you've got these skills. And if you can use them, please do. Offer your time for free and stuff will come back to you eventually too, you know. That was it. Like, I'd done that for a couple of years and I kind of realised that I I liked doing it and I was... I was definitely not not bad at it anyway. I was getting kind of results uh, with young people. Um, so I just needed a degree to, to actually make that to, to make that path a bit more obvious for me. So I came here to do the music media and performance technology course at UL as a mature student. So I think I was 28 starting, and which was not one of those challenges being a 28-year-old starting college. It was definitely like... I found that difficult for sure. I've got plus I was already making music and releasing albums and stuff and had my own notions about 
how music was, you know, and then someone trying to teach me. I'd say I wasn't the easiest person to have in a classroom now, to be honest. But we got there and I enjoyed it in the end. Um, but the first couple of years were definitely a big struggle. I guess I don't like being told what to do, you know, and <laughs> never really did. I can do it, but if you tell me to do it, I'm actually less likely to do it. Again, it's, the, it's just a character flaw thing. The education thing is, it's never sat well with me, which is weird that, that I'm a teacher then as well. <laughs> um, it's hard. I, I, don't get me wrong. It's pretty difficult to be a teacher um, or a lecturer or anything like mass education is difficult when you've got 30 people in a room. It's hard to, to cater for everyone. You know, I was definitely the guy who was like really enthusiastic, but um, not the easiest to, to be presenting lessons to anyway, for sure. And so through that, then that's how I got my job music generation right place, right time. They were starting up as I was finishing my, my course and they needed a hip hop person kind of straight away. And I'd been doing, I'd done some work with the learning hub in Limerick here during my college course. And they were like, do you want a, do you want a job? I was like, yes, I'm massively in debt after four years in college. So yeah, that was great. But again, like lucky, but also had the right skills to do it. So it, it uh, actually was the plan anyway, all along. It just actually worked. So I was surprised. And I'm still here till 10 years ago when I started working here. I was around Limerick back, back around then as well, like 08, 09, 10. Um, oh, yeah. and, and it felt like looking back, you can kind of look through rose tinted glasses and stuff about like post recession. Uh, Limerick how how much that had to do with it but Limerick has always kind of continued along that vein like even DIY LK people rave about that from you know bands from Cork to Belfast rave about that do you think that there's just something about Limerick acts they just like in enjoy I don't know working together and they're all friends and they're all just uh it's like a melting pot I suppose yeah as soon as I arrived here I sort of felt at home there's something quite welcoming it is something in the air here for sure, and it's gotten better every year since I've been here. I'm not exactly sure what it is. Like, I, I, mean, I guess there's like multiple factors. One thing is actually people are staying around now. So, like, certainly when I arrived first, there was a bit of a paucity of kind of people between kind of 25 and 35. So you're kind of your actual core audience for a, a kind of underground music scene who have a bit of, kind of disposable income. They weren't around. They were all like, like as soon as you finish college, you go to Dublin or you go to Cork or you emigrate. But there's people sticking around now. And then that has a cyclical effect that the next people stick around as well. So, so there's now enough people here to sustain itself, you know. And then you have two quite important venues as well. You've got pharmacy and you've got the commercial, which are run by people that like music and want to support music and um, are easy to deal with. And they're not like obviously they got to make money, but it's not profit-driven sort of capitalist kind of pigs, you know. There's some nice guys who um, just want to put on some music and they and they see the value in it, sort of underground music. So I think it, even though that's just two spaces, like I think that's super important for the city and for the scene. Because it's a small city, then like everyone just knows each other anyway, like and by default, you know. Um, Go is quite similar to like you go to the punk gig, you'd see all the kind of hip hop heads. I see a few rap heads there because it's a night out and there's not kind of gigs all the time. So you kind of end up seeing a bit of everything, you know, it's probably true of all of Ireland, except for Dublin, maybe like each scene by itself is kind of almost nothing in a way because they're so small, but when the whole music scene kind of acts as one, it kind of has a bit more force. 
And I think you saw that with Finland, the Greyhound Festival the last couple of years, too. their music policy was kind of just underground music. It wasn't necessarily any particular strain of it. It was just, this is the good shit from the underground. And that was the policy. To uh, Naive Ted, you released the inevitable heel turn back in 2015. I feel like that's your first proper, like, full length, long form kind of release, nine or ten tracks and a couple of remixes. Yeah. Do you see that as the high point of Ted? Um, it was a great calling card. I must say that that was like, and presenting it as an actual album was something I kind of always resisted, kind of maybe before that, and maybe even since. But I think having a clear cut thing that people could kind of actually put in the Irish Times or, or whatever was, you know, like, yeah, it was useful. I'm happy with some of that music. I, I think a lot of it's dated. Some of it I am still quite happy with. That's me really learning how to use a digital means for the first time as well. So there's kind of like some decisions in that that I'm, I wouldn't do now. One of the issues then was trying to present that music live was so difficult. I had to kind of reverse engineer everything for it to work. As I kind of progressed on, I was kind of making tunes with an eye for playing them live, as opposed to just kind of studio creations or being kind of useful DJ tools that I could actually easily manipulate rather than like, and actually maybe that's, so the kind of run of shows I did off the back of Heel Turn, I did quite a lot of shows for the year or two after that but they were kind of like inferior versions of the tracks when I was playing them live and there was so many like I think it was about 200 cues in the average set you know and it was like I'd miss a cue and then it'd fuck things up and maybe no one would notice it but I'd notice it and then that would kind of affect my performance and even then even if I got it completely right you'd still be better off listening to the album in a way you know like it sounded better so that was a good learning curve there like and this is actually like, I mean, this is a problem that maybe all electronic musicians have, if, if not just recording jams or whatever, if you're kind of making highly edited music, like it's just unperformable without, without serious sacrifices, you know, in the, in the audio fidelity of it. Um, or you're just doing playback, which, I mean, that's fine for Calvin Harris or whatever, but that's not what we want to do. So I, I think since then, pretty much everything has, has had an eye on the live, on the live experience, and like more so now, like as in, I think even on the last couple of releases, I put like 
this isn't actually for listening. This is just a way of you to give you some money if you want it. This should be like played in a nightclub or in a venue. Like like it's not it's not going to have the same effect on a Tuesday morning in your in your sitting room. Like you know, and even like if you're kind of analyzing it in kind of headphones and like it's not really for that. It's it's to move your body and it's to experience it with other people in a dark room at a very loud volume. It seems like you kind of got into collaborations as well, or maybe post Inevitable Heel Turn. Like, uh, yeah. I know that you played with Post Punk Pod. You did a track, remixed Windings as well. I saw you supporting them in uh, the Barras, I think, a few years ago. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so is that kind of like the rules changing again? You're kind of like excited by all of these acts that you're playing with and you're kind of like testing <laughs> out what actually works? Ironically, like, I wouldn't even call those collaborations whenever i approached anyone to do any of those things i always said like it like i'm like i want to use you i don't really like collaborating with people to be honest it has been fun a few times but in general i've always found it better off being part of a dictatorship where someone just calls the shots and you do that so in all those instances i kind of said i want to use you for this track i have an idea in my head of kind of what you can do I can't do it. So can you do it for me, please? <laughs> and, and, and like, to be fair to everyone, like as most people were up for it too. Now, like I, I give them a veto as well. If they don't like the thing that I won't release it, but um, no one's ever used a veto yet anyway, <laughs> um, which is nice. Maybe they're just too polite. But yeah, like the idea of collaborating and I'm involved in it has always worked better with a kind of clear leader and a clear, I tell you what to do are, I got the final say or whatever anyway, you know. The last true collaborations I would have done was probably Flying Buttresses. Or we had a 50-50 say and but that made it quite difficult because then you'd have got to then you've got to uh, be compromising all the time too, you know, <laughs> which makes things take longer. So you have these final couple of naive TED shows coming up. Are you sitting on like lots of music that you're planning on releasing as them or sitting on a load of music, like hundreds of tracks. Don't know what I'm gonna do with it. Yeah. Um Maybe maybe none of it will ever come out. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Uh, there will be some kind of release of some music probably before the end of the year because quite a lot of it is finished. But just, yeah, just just again, like there's so much time needed to get these things together. Just been focusing on other things. But uh, the music is made and there's lots of it. It's hard drives full of it. And again, some more successful than others. But And, and like maybe that's kind of ties back into that thing about like, I put less onus on the music that I'm making because you don't need to hear it in your house. You know, still like so does I'm kind of still wondering like why am I bothering releasing this to streaming services if I don't even want you to play it on a streaming service really. But then I also like giving people the opportunity to hear it or whatever. So I'm, I'm kind of torn between those things. I still prefer if um, you never listen to my music at home at all and you and you only saw me like that. That's because even recordings of it, there's been a couple of okay ones, but it's never it's never like it is. The show is kind of what it is, um, especially with Ted. Anyway, it's just about the shows, and that's why I think it was it was good to organize this little run of shows, just because that's that's where I put all my energy in the last couple of years. So you're calling time on kind of the live performances, but you Andy aren't going to be stopping making music anytime soon. No, me and Andy's definitely making music, yeah. A couple of things 
I'm straight into soundtracking some contemporary dance performances um, for Angie Smalis and Colin Gee. They were doing, uh, it's called All the Relations. That will be in November. Me and Dan Walsh are also working on a little, uh, kind of a duo project, live kind of dance music kind of things. That should be ready for public consumption sometime next year as well. Yeah, there's lots on the horizon of fun to be had anyway. Yeah. You couldn't stop me making music if you tried, really, to be honest. Even if no one listens, I'll still make it, you know. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks for talking me through not everything Naive Ted, but a lot of Naive Ted. There's a lot there that we could have uh, covered. But um, yeah, best of luck with the shows. Hope you're excited for them as well. Uh, hopefully get to see you in um, the NCH at the start of November. It should be great. Sweet. Nice one, Owen. Thanks a million, man. I cheers taking time out to do this as well. Much appreciated. We just slept.
Thank <laughs> you.